What's going on, guys? Michael here, Energy 360 Network by Intercom. Excited to be bringing you part two of our three-part interview series with the experts at Squirrel. Before I do that, we need to do a little clerical work. Please, if you are not already, subscribe to the Intercom YouTube page or the 360 Digital Bell Closing Podcast on iTunes or Spotify. I'd please recommend you do that right now. It is the best way to stay up to date on everything energy finance. We come to you live on YouTube every single day for a five-minute digital ticker to give you one big thing that you should take away from the oil and gas market today. And then we come to you every Monday and Friday before the market opens to catch you up on what happened and give you our thoughts on what we think the market will have moving forward. As always, you can check out those podcasts as well on the world's greatest website, www.oilandgas360.com, where you can also find the Energy 360 Network and all the previous interviews, both the last one we did with Spruill, part one of that, and where you will be able to find part two of this interview with Spruill. It is an awesome. We sit down with Christopher Wilde and Liam O'Brien, both who are senior executives over at Spool Released, and we talk and sit down with them and really talk the natural gas markets and, and where it's going from a capital perspective and then what they think that likes good forward. Spool is an awesome company. They are one of the best in the world when it comes to strategic consulting, reservoir characterization. They do a whole host of things. Please check them out at their website, Spool.com. It does a much better job of going over everything that they can do to help your company succeed better. I please and highly recommend you call them, but with this, I'm going to hand it over to Stu to kick it off. Uh, Liam, uh, could you give us a summary about what's going on over at Spruill and uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Spruill is a global energy consulting firm. We have a, a pretty focused um, team on the engineering and geological side focused on oil and gas property evaluation um, and geological studies. We're, we're headquartered in Calgary, Alberta. Um, we have an office in Denver, an office in The Hague, and an office in Mexico City. And so we're, we're, we're definitely international uh, and we have a strong presence in the U.S. with our, with our team in Denver. Oh, fantastic. And your report uh, that we talked about had some fantastic information. I believe it came out about 10 days ago. And can you kind of cover uh, about what you're covering right now in the new changes in this report that we'll be covering in this interview? Yeah, so I think, you know, just just to take take a step back over the last six weeks, we've been We've been publishing, you know, every 10 days or so, uh, a new market report, just focusing on the key themes, mostly on the crude side of things. But this this latest report that we released earlier this week um, is really focused on on the, the natural gas market in, in the U.S. and and globally. And so, um, you know, highlighting some of the key themes that we're seeing emerging from all the market chaos. Uh, with with the pandemic, with with low commodity prices, and and kind of our outlook on where we think natural gas is going. Um, your uh, first part of that report is talking about demand. So, uh, what are you guys seeing? It seems like with us opening up again, demand is going to start rolling back through. Yeah, I think so. The U.S. definitely has been hit um, uh, on 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 the natural gas side demand side of things from COVID-19. We've seen in particular industrial demand fall um, kind of in the, in the 15 to 20% range. Now, to give you some context, industrial demand makes up about 25% of total 
U.S. domestic gas consumption. So we've seen fairly material drop in in uh, domestic uh, demand from from COVID nineteen related measures. Uh, but yeah, like you say, as states start to open up, I expect to see um, an uptick in manufacturing processes, a return to you know what, what we'd call normal, and so we should see a return in demand for natural gas on, on that side of things. And um, you know, with uh, the capital market and the uh, uh, changing on all those things, Chris, do you have uh, the different Permian? You have the different Appalachia uh, player uh, spending on the cap uh, side of things. You know, we've you guys brought up the point that the Marcellus uh, is more efficient already. And your report talks about that. You know, you've got the Marcellus versus the Permian on which one's more efficient. So what do you guys got for thoughts on that? Well, I, I think, you know, the U.S. gas market has, has obviously gone through a period where you've seen a lot of growth from associated gas. And, and so mm -hmm. the, the impact of that in, in places like, like the Permian, where we expect liquids production to come off uh, quite sharply towards the end of the year, you know, we would expect to see that same impact for associated gas. And so there's going to be a, a greater pull on the traditional dry gas producers in places like uh, the, the Marcellus. And so we're going to get back to a pricing regime that also reflects that. And uh, the, most of the producers in places like the Marcellus have not had the luxury of, of liquids pricing uh, you know, through the last few years. And so they've gotten very lean and mean and very competitive in terms of delivering low, uh, you know, low supply cost gas into the market. And, and as we look to the future as well, we continue to see that even though, you know, this is a challenging market near term, even for the gas producers, mm -hmm. uh, with, with some of the dynamics around demand picking up and, um, and supply from, from associated gas in particular taking a hit, we expect prices to, to see a pull up towards the end of the year, uh, certainly hitting you know, $3 by, by year end, maybe even a little bit higher uh, for the, the traditional winter spikes. And so that's gonna be uh, you know, the, this, the story for gas in, in coming months, um, along with you know, its, its impact, which we, we can talk a little bit more about uh, into the global LNG market. Yeah, and I want to get into the, that LNG thing you touched on right in the field, but I first want to focus on when we talk about, you, you guys are mentioning that there's, there's, there's this demand disruption on um, um, the, you know, the natural gas side, and we're seeing a bunch of that play out with the coronavirus stuff. How are you seeing shut-ins affecting? Because you mentioned associated gas was one of the biggest drivers of this low price um, commodity right now. And, and, and when you mention oil, you know, gas prices being $3 in the future, is that solely because that you're going to be seeing these shut-ins start rolling around or or what are you seeing on that front? Well, I think you can look to, for example, uh, just liquids production in, in, in the U.S. You know, we're expecting to see maybe upwards of 2 million barrels come off upstream. Mm -hmm. and, and so what that will do in terms of associated gas production is it's, it's probably another 5 to 6 PCF of gas mm -hmm. uh, as well that we'll, we'll see come off as, as part of that. And with those types of numbers, we're, we're starting to see a real impact you know, in terms of that, that supply demand, uh, you know, balance within, within the U.S. And so, so that's really what we're talking about. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we can talk about demand on the gas side too, as Liam talked about. And of course, there has been a hit, but nothing nearly as, as severe as, as we've seen on the crude oil side. So 
from that perspective, gas fundamentals are, are certainly stronger uh, as, as we you know, look towards the end of the year uh, with, with that type of dynamic playing out. Yeah, your thoughts on that, Liam, before I kick it back to uh, Chris and we can talk some about the global energy markets? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm in agreement with Chris. You know, when you think about the, the, the magnitude of associated gas production now, uh, you know, it, it makes up about 20% of total U.S. gas production pre-virus. And so when you see, what, when we're expecting to see 2 million barrels a day, upwards of 2 million barrels a day come off uh, on the crude side, um, and like Chris said, five to six, five to six BCF a day. You know that that is going to be material. Um, now, I, I do suspect that, you know, we're talking about we're, we're talking about supply coming off. I, I think there is there is a positive growth story for natural gas. Uh, like like Chris mentioned, we're 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 going to see a pull from um, a, a pull for production from dry gas producers now because uh, someone's gonna need to fill the gap and it's not gonna be the crude, the crude producers, it's going to be the gas producers uh, to, to meet this rising demand that we think we're going to see on the backside of, of this COVID-19 pandemic. So along that, that that capital spending note, you know, when you look towards the end of your report, you talk about how you guys are overall bullish on Henry Hub natural gas prices, but you also mentioned that specifically capital spending in the Appalachian uh, player spending, specifically in Tarot, Cabot, Global, they're all going down. Do you see that there's going to be some capital expenditure starting to come in later this year and early next year for the natural gas if we see prices continue to move up, or is it, or is this mainly just 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 a, a habit of the environment on the crude side as well? No, I think I think you know we we have seen capital budgets uh, on a gradual decline, kind of over the last four years, mostly commodity price driven. Um, you know, once we start seeing this uptick in the Henry Hub price, we're going to see capital spent by dry gas producers, um, albeit at what I think will be a more disciplined rate than than where we might have seen in in say 2015 or 2016. Uh, really, the structural shift towards a focus on providing cash returns to investors is going to change how capital is deployed um, within these companies. So, so I guess to answer your question, it, it's going to come back and it's going to be higher than where it is this year. Um, but I think it's going to be a little bit more disciplined going into the future. Uh, that is, Liam, that is outstanding uh, very much on that. You know, as you guys talked about the Marcellus and the Permian on those kind of issues, there's a huge uh, issue going on worldwide. And Chris, what do you think uh, about the worldwide LNG market and how that's impacting everything? Yeah, the LNG market globally has been radically altered in the last uh, decade. And much of that, of course, owes to the development of shale gas and the US becoming a net exporter of gas. And, and you know, that's very similar to what we've seen on, on the crude market side as well. But the market on, on the gas side is still really adapting to all that new capacity and that new dynamic, uh, you know, starting to, to really alter that market. And so it, it, it's, still, it's still really adjusting to that and, and absorbing that new uh, capacity as well. We're also starting to see, you know, gas and gas competition in places like, uh, you know, Europe, where US LNG is now, you know, head to head with Russian pipeline gas, for example. And so... We've traditionally seen crude oil as really the sexier commodity, mostly because it's got such a geopolitical flavor. 
but gas is is catching up pretty quickly. Uh, and and you know when we talk about that the pace of that supply growth uh, as well uh, in in the U.S. market, you know that's been accompanied by significant additions to that export capacity, with the third trains of Freeport and Cameron coming on, uh, you know, imminently. Uh, we're going to be at 10 BCF per per day of of export capacity in the U.S. And then, so that's that's really starting to look like a a really serious uh, you know part of the U.S. market. And there are three other key drivers for for uh, you know the global LNG market. One is that abundant supply we've seen. And North America has been a big part of that story, uh, backed up by by very cheap gas. Uh, we're also having more flexible floating regasification, which is is allowing for new buyers of LNG to come into the market. And we've also seen a development of a very liquid you know, market for LNG uh, that, that is becoming more actively traded. And, you know, 30% of, of all cargoes are now sold into the spot market. So in that market, um, where we've had a glut of new supply, and we've also had reduced seasonal demand from two mild winters in the Northern Hemisphere, pricing was always going to be soft. And it was actually soft earlier on in this year. Uh, you know, by the end of January, we're at 40% uh, you know, less than, than the previous year as uh, you know, pricing you know, hit less than, than $4. And that was before any of, of really the, the impact of COVID started to, to, to hit home. So, so with that, um, you know, we're also running low on storage in, in, in Europe. Uh, Europe picked up a lot of cargoes last year, but at uh, you know, the beginning of March, we were at 60% of capacity in Europe. Which, which compares to you know thirty to forty percent of what we would, what, which is what we would typically see at this time of year. Uh, so, so you know we're looking at some some very significant uh, uh, you know soft fundamentals near term, which coupled with the dynamic of of the pandemic on on the demand side, is uh, is leading to a, a a very soft pricing environment and a convergence of Henry Hub with uh, LNG pricing in both the Atlantic and Pacific basin. Now, you know yeah, right. sorry, if I was just going to add to that as well. So, so if you look longer term, of course, that's not sustainable pricing. And so we don't see this really uh, persisting. Um, longer term, we, we expect to see, you know, someone, um, you know, pricing those cargos in the 5 to $7 range, which would be more kind of full cycle costs for LNG, including liquefaction. And, and certainly the U.S., um, other big players like Russia and Qatar are going to be able to compete in that environment. Uh, so current pricing, again, is, is really an anomaly from what we see longer term. Uh, you know, oh, sorry, Liam, go ahead. Yeah, I think just to build on that, you know, our expectations for positive price movement on the global LNG market, you know, taking that back to the U.S. and our expectations for demand growth. Um, it, it's supportive of what we think is a positive demand growth story. You know, right now there's over 20 BCF per day of worth of projects that are approved, but not yet under construction for, for us Gulf coast LNG projects. Um, you know, for, for one reason or another, whether they're waiting for funding contracts, um, they're just going through the regulatory process, but the outlook, you know, Yes, yes, global prices are, are, are low right now and, and certain projects are facing challenges, but I think our, our longer term 
uh, positive outlook for global LNG prices is going to support the construction of increased or, or, or more um, uh, LNG export facilities on the U.S. Gulf Coast, which should help um, U.S. producers and help drive uh, U.S. dry gas production growth. You know, uh, some of the things that uh, we've been talking about, and, and you just hit on two of those big things, and that is the floating storage. Uh, there's what, I believe, 720 very large uh, tankers that are out there, and we're, there was a gigantic portion of those that are just sitting there out on the ocean as storage units now. And and so you take a look at that. What are your thoughts on the LNG uh, shipping? Uh, there's We are seeing all over the place that these new shippers and uh, new boat contracts are being done. People are putting big boat, big bucks into the boats. Uh, do you see that the uh, rise in price that you guys are talking about with the $3 possible uh, coming in? Uh, what are your thoughts on the shipping coming in at that uh, higher rate? Well, I think if we look at the history of of uh, you know shipping rate for LNG carriers, it, it has you know tended to follow the market uh, as well. So it has been volatile, and and you know that's why you know I, I think where we're going to go to there is is where larger buyers are, are going to be continuing to develop you know very sophisticated trading operations and integrated um, operations around their their shipping fleets as well, and. And with that, you know, larger players are, are really taking a view that they can, uh, uh, you know, participate in that global market that we talked about and derive some of that arbitrage, both in areas like shipping and trading and looking at, at really uh, taking advantage of some of the arbitrage that might exist uh, in the market, just given where, uh, you know, they can get the best economics for those cargoes. So we're seeing, you know, cargoes getting shipped to Europe and then re-exported uh, to other parts of the world, for example. Now, short term, just given that we've, we've seen that convergence of pricing in the Atlantic and Pacific base, and that's not really possible, but I think the more liquid and the more developed that market is going to be, the more we're going to see, uh, you know, also that the shipping piece become an integral part of how, uh, you know, different players participate in, in LNG globally. And um, the bigger the market is, the more efficient it's going to be in terms of establishing what the, the right shipping rates are because uh, again you know what if there's anything the market doesn't like it it is it is volatility and that's uh that, that's been part of the, the challenge historically hey uh thank you chris um this has been fantastic uh, i just want to let you know that uh, spruill experts are fantastic in being able to figure out all the stuff in there and uh, Liam and Chris and Michael uh, I'd like to do one last question around the horn and that is uh, if I forgot anything during this period uh, Liam I'd like to throw it over to you first for any last words or thoughts and then we'll go to Chris and then Michael will close us out so Liam any last thoughts that you have yeah I think you know it, it's just important to, to emphasize that what we're seeing uh, on the on the U.S. side of things is is really a structural change in the operating environment for both oil and gas producers. You know we've seen access to capital become increasingly difficult in the last few years. Uh, producers shifting focus towards uh, providing investors with cash returns, which means you know less money spent at the drill bit. And so 
the growth we've seen on the supply side uh, domestically over the last few years, we don't expect to see in the coming years, um, you know, even on the backside of, of COVID-19. Now, that's not to say gas producers aren't going to see growth. I think it's, I think it's going to be the opposite. I think, you know, with, like I said, the drop in oil production, gas producers are going to step in and, and fill that gap. And overall, we're bullish on prices, um, especially in the medium term. I think, you know, steady, robust demand, reduced associated gas growth, more disciplined growth strategies uh, on both the crude and the gas side should help lift gas prices back, you know, towards, towards or even above $3. Uh, Chris, any last thoughts? Yeah, and I think, think just to, to build on that, you know, even though pricing is soft in, in, in the near term here, you know, the fundamental demand drivers for the LNG market, uh, uh, which, you know, the U.S. is now an integral part of, remain strong in the medium to long term. Under most scenarios, you know, in, in the absence of new FIDs today, and we're seeing those cancellations for projects in North America too, or at least postponements of, of those FIDs, uh, that will likely, you know, lead to a, a shortfall in the mid-2020s. And that's going to create, again, a, a more attractive pricing dynamic during that period as the market rebalances. But, you know, I think from a, a bigger perspective, again, I think it's important to keep in mind that gas remains the transition fuel of choice. It has contributed meaningfully to emissions reductions from the switching from coal to gas uh, globally. Uh, and at current price levels, that's going to continue to be a very attractive proposition. Also, it is critical to you know, areas like uh, industrial heat generation and also thinking about you know, how it can play an intermittency role to complement renewables development. Uh, also, you know, other areas like blue hydrogen. So, so gas fundamentals remain strong and that's going to continue in coming years uh, on the back of what is an increasingly sophisticated global supply chain and infrastructure as well. And so with lower associated gas from liquids place in the U.S., we can expect that U.S. gas prices will have a better momentum, uh, you know, over the next year or so. And, and with the U.S. now a major exporter of gas too, what we're going to see is, is an increasing interplay between Henry Hub and LNG pricing. So we, we expect to see, you know, that establish a bit of a, a ceiling and a floor for where Henry Hub will go. If it goes too high, then you know utilization rates for LNG may drop, and and vice versa, and so uh, that's why we talk about you know three dollars is kind of a bit of a, a cap longer term. I mean we'll, we'll see spikes above that, um, but you know that's a good level for uh, for gas in in the U.S. because we know at that level it can support both U.S. supply growth and it will allow U.S. LNG to be competitive as we uh, go back to a rebalanced market. I, I think that's awesome, and, and and I know just being able to sit in here, I've learned so much. So we really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day and to, to, to really educate us all. And and, and 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 if you want to check out more on Sproul, you can go online. You can check them out, Sproul.com. You can check out everything. We'll have everything in the show notes. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys.